This is The Legal Impact, the weekly show presented by the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD and graduate programs, learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire and UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. Our guest this week is attorney and professor Ed Timberlake of Timberlake Law and one of our regular adjunct professors for the Hybrid JD program in our Intellectual Property Summer Institute, also known as IPSI. And there's more information on that summer program at law.unh.edu slash IPSI. Attorney Timberlake is a former trademark examining attorney at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, former copyright examiner at the U.S. Copyright Office, and a board-certified specialist in trademark law. His practice focuses entirely on trademarks and copyrights, primarily providing advice, preparing and filing applications, and maintaining registrations. Welcome to the show, Ed. Thanks very much for having me. So you participated in our recent idea, which is the law review for the Franklin Pierce Center for Intellectual Property Symposium on IP and COVID-19. Your presentation was trademarks and whatever's trending. Uh, What led you to uh, present on this? It was really interesting to see all the ways that uh, COVID made it into different branding efforts. Yeah, so I was happy to see that there was a focused subject um, for for that, that evening. Um, But I'm always a little bit of two minds, I think, when it comes to uh, things that are are billed as being intellectual property, because intellectual property tends to be this umbrella term that a lot of stuff gets thrown under. Um, And frequently it means that it's going to be patent, kind of patent heavy. You know, if you've got a symposium and it says intellectual property, generally you're going to get a lot of patent things. Um, And that's fine. Uh, I mean, there's a place in the world for patents, but they're just, they're nothing whatsoever like trademarks. So on the one hand, I think um, as much as I wanted to participate, um, I also wanted to, it felt like it was valuable to point out that trademarks are really doing something completely different than patents. Um, They're not really going to be raising the same concerns. Um, And in a sense, really, we just should have a separate night to talk just about trademark because trademarks are so complex and so interesting and and reach into so many different areas that I feel like we we do them better justice uh, focusing entirely on those. But that being said, there's certainly any time and, and the idea of having the title be you know trademarks and whatever's trending is that something is always trending uh, and you by looking. I have sort of an ulterior motive in, in all of this because I teach a, a class about you know searching the trademark office records. And if you look at the trademark office records, you'll just and all you have to do is just glance at them, you can see every day different kinds of focus, different, you know, if you don't not so much going record by record, but just if you look, generally around 2,000 new filings come into the trademark office a day. And if you just scan, you know, what those words are, you can see that, okay, sometimes, um, you know, it's a presidential nominee that that a lot of people are focused, you know, a lot of attention is focused there. Sometimes it's COVID. Um, Lately, we've been getting a lot of metaverse uh, activity and a lot of NFTs um, sorts of actions. And that just from day to day, it's reflected in, in the new filing. So, I think that there's a lot that we can learn by looking at the records at the trademark office. And kind of importantly, I think there's a lot we don't get in the normal law school approach. I mean, I'm completely fine with the, the 
normal way that trademarks are taught in the law school setting where you, you look at the cases and you know a lot of the cases are very old, but you don't look at very many cases. It seems to me that the looking at the individual records, the live records as they're coming in is a great complement to that approach to see, okay, well, what, what does this look like in, in action? Um, and so that, that was both because the things, uh, the COVID related things uh, sort of stand out kind of easily, I thought it was worth delving into that. Yeah, I mean, trademarks are very important for branding. Say you're, like you mentioned, a presidential campaign wants to make sure there's not three Joe Bidens that are running and using the same exact logo, for example. I mean, how, for those that aren't informed on it, can you break down a bit of what a trademark is and how it might uh, vary compared to a uh, patent or copyright? Yeah, so I think one of the, to, to sort of stake out this position uh, a little more extremely, mm-hmm. I think from the very beginning, rather than talking about what trade, because in, in patents, a lot of times you talk about particular subject matter and in copyrights, you talk about particular subject matter, like you've got a book or you've got a painting, you know, and it, it depends. Some of the rules depend very much on what the subject matter is. In the trademark space, I don't think we care so much what the thing is. I think the trademark activity or the trademark action is is really the function, is what it's doing. So almost anything that can serve the purpose of being a symbol, almost anything that can play the role of standing for something else is going to be the kind of subject matter that we can talk about. Uh, for trademarks and the kinds of things that we'll we'll see in the trademark space. So the the typical list, we you know we say, oh well, it's words or images or sounds or scents or things. You know all these different things. I think mostly just if if we can perceive it. You know the the, the way the human brain is is that we can sort of ascribe meaning to almost anything that we can perceive. So it can be, you know, the sound of a bell going off. It can be a particular slogan. It can be a cheer. Um, you know, it can the 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 particular fodder that you use doesn't really matter so much as the action. It's got to be doing something, um, and that that's sort of the wrinkle. And I think a lot of times when we look at new filings that are trendy, um, they're sort of ostensibly trademark activity, but really they're just trying to get in on a trend and they're not really going to function like a trademark. They're not going to end up actually standing for something. They're not going to be doing the indication work that we require of trademark. So the one one thing to keep in mind of looking at new filings at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office is that the new filing, like you can send in just about anything and anything you want to pay an application fee for, you can send into the office. But the fact that it goes into the office doesn't mean, um, first off, it doesn't mean that it's actually functioning as a trademark. And secondly, it certainly doesn't mean that it's going to get registered. But I, honestly, I think that activity itself, that that sort of assessment of looking at new things, not all which, not all of them that are going to end up getting registered is also valuable to sort of get our eyes accustomed to, all right, what is this analysis? Um, but yeah, trademarks are, are um, just one of the most interesting things, you know, in life in general. And certainly I'll go ahead and, and uh, tell you the most interesting that you'll cover uh, in law school. So yeah, I, how, how much fear does the uh, no? Is it the USPTO or the or the uh, trademark office that actually handles the the filings? 
So the, 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 and this is a great topic. The office is sort of, it's ostensibly one office. It's got okay. one name, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. But that ought to confuse us a little bit because there's no reason in the world that you would have the patent office joined to the trademark office because they're, they're different things. Two totally different from, things. Yeah, I mean, it, you might as well have the, the example I like to use is like if we decided to join the Social Security Administration with the Homeland Security administration you're like well those they both say security so i guess they're the, like don't give no, my ideas Ed. yeah the, the, those are different things entirely and you're not and and the conversations i mean i, I don't think you're going to have meaningful conversations in the social security space right. that are going to carry over to like oh well let's apply that over in the homeland security they're just completely different ideas and it, to me so i i tend to just call it the trademark office but that that's that's not correct. That leaves out the whole patent side. But yes, when when somebody wants when somebody has their eye on getting a registration, it's the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office that is the one national, you know, federal nationwide place um, that does that. So when when something big happens, like a pandemic, for example, I mean, is there a bit of hold on to your butts? Here comes a just tremendous amount of filings. Yeah, well, they're always I mean, it's one strange thing and this and we don't get much of a sense of this in law school, because I think in law school, we really like the idea of things sort of making sense. You know, we sort of like to be able to follow a thread that says, oh, well, this these are rational actors. But when you look at the actual direct raw filings, a lot of people send things in that they have every reason to know will never get registered. And it almost seems like there's a certain percentage, and I don't know how large a percentage it is, but it's it's fairly steady. It almost seems like there's a certain percentage of filings where there's there's no intention whatsoever of getting a registration, that, that maybe just simply the act of filing is its own sort of form of expression or its own statement. Like, you know, I filed this and, and it never leads to anything. And, and a lot of them, you can look at them and say, oh, well, this person probably thinks now that they're going to corner the market in this sort of you know, with this sort of word or this sort of image, or they're going to ride the coattails of some sort of meme. Um, that's not really how trademarks work, which is another reason why I think intellectual property as an umbrella term, the, the property idea sort of makes it sound like, well, if you can invest in it, you know, if you get it in on the, on the ground floor, then it, it can appreciate. And trademarks are nothing really like that at all. Now, what's what did uh, through your research on this end up looking like as COVID hit and people were starting to file different things? I watched your presentation. Um, it looks like there's a lot of uh, little bug looking uh, virus icons and things like that. But it must be a lot more than just that. Yeah, well, so people will be all over the place. And I think it's it's valuable to look at these things, even though we know a lot of the filings are never going to lead to registration. I think it's valuable because kind of the core of so we've got one big federal trademark statute, the Lanham Act. We all sort of speak in, in high reverence of the Lanham Act. And the Lanham Act is, if you had to oversimplify it, you could just say it wants you to come up with something distinctive. And distinctive has sort of its, like everything in law school, distinctive has its own particular kind of meaning. But we could sort of characterize this as like standing out. It, the Lanham Act wants you to stand out in some way. And so there's an automatic tension between doing something trendy, which is going along with the crowd, and at the same time trying to stand apart from the crowd. And it's not that it's impossible to do that, but it's it's a lot trickier than people realize, I think, before they try it. So, you know, a lot of times you would have people apply for just things that aren't um, 
you know, that, that are just straight statements uh, apply for COVID as, uh, you know, a trademark for some sort of pharmaceutical something. You're like, okay, well, that's not, that's not standing apart at all. That's just what, just the term that we would use in that space. But you can be in that sort of subject matter area and still getting people to notice you. So one way to do that a lot of times is something visual. You know, you, you'll show, you'll have a logo that's different uh, or you'll have people playing around with logos. Um, a really fascinating aspect of that, that came about fairly early in the pandemic was when you had uh, distilleries, um, you know, existing distilleries that had been making, a, you know, distilled spirits and selling those under a particular name, particular symbol. And then they're shutting down, I guess, uh, whether they had to shut down the production or whether they had to send everybody home. But then a number of those, in order to keep the operation going, pivoted to making hand sanitizer. Mm -hmm. So you get this sort of weird crossover where before the pandemic, I never would have thought about the relationship between something in the distilled spirit space and something in the hand sanitizer space. But you get some weird things where you're like, oh, this this must have come about because of the pandemic. But this is a name or a logo or something that I associated with a trademark in the in the before times. But now it's in a sand, you know, a hand sanitizer sort of space. And so sometimes that's how you can get people to notice you is not by doing a completely different, having a completely unusual symbol, but just carrying a symbol that used to mean one thing and adding some nuance and meaning to it going forward. How is there a decision made with regards to similarity of multiple trademarks, so especially saying there's there's this bulk amount of trademarks filed all at the same time around COVID? I mean, how is it determined who actually gets it? Or does the nature of so many people file the same thing makes basically make it not possible for someone to own it specifically? So, and I think that's another area where the, the property idea doesn't really help us very much because right. in the property, we sort of calls to mind like a land grab. Like if you just get there first and stay on that spot, that, that's not how it's going to work in the trademark space. But in the trademark space, if you're able to say, look, I'm over in this new space, I'm, I'm distinctive in the legal sense. I'm sort of standing out over here in this area, doing something, you know, with, with a little bit of a wrinkle, doing something a little bit differently. Um, there's still a number of other things in the in the statute in the Lanham Act that you have to kind of meet that. But you're exactly right that you you could easily have a hundred filings come in in a short period of time that all raise very close to each other um, questions of you know how is this going to get uh, how are we going to analyze this? Um, good thing is that the trademark office has hundreds of trademark examining attorneys, and they go through hundreds and thousands of filings. So they get pretty good at making these assessments. Um, but yeah, you're right. That the, it oftentimes it is if somebody's doing something new is is doing something distinctive, then they and and they in fact are you know can show that that everything is in order and that they are actually doing it in the real world then that registration will immediately turn around and prevent the the next 99 people who are trying to get into that same sort of cognitive space. And that's that's part of the value for the first person is to is to go someplace different, stand out in their own way, go through the registration process, 
and then you know they get the benefit of being there first. One tricky thing is that it's the ground. Another reason why the the property imagery doesn't work terribly well is that the ground in the trademark space can sort of shift underneath you. So you can do something that's absolutely unusual and noticeable and legally distinctive over in in one space, and because trademark power comes from the meaning that people associate, the meaning that people have in their heads. If that meaning in their heads shifts away from that being unusual, if, that's, if that becomes less unusual and just is simply usual, then your rights also can sort of just drift out from underneath you. Yeah. So that's that's a little bit of a risk when you see somebody say, like, it's not just the matter of being first, but it's also the matter of being over someplace that isn't going to have its rights just um, you know, go away in a short period of time. So how would parody and satire play into this? A common meme around COVID is the poor Corona brewery <laughs> and <laughs> there the many, many uh, parody shirts and such that came out from that. Uh, about uh, three and a half minutes left on it. I mean, how does that play into it? So the that's a really interesting uh, situation. And, and I think a great example of, of trademarks being symbols and one of the natures of symbols, one of the characteristics of symbols is that there's, they don't have a fixed, they don't necessarily have a fixed meaning. The meaning doesn't stay stable forever. So Corona, before times, you could say, well, Corona, that means, you know, it literally means crown. And we already have a beer, you know, brand that's in that space. But Corona as a trademark for beer sounds different to our ears now because the, the world has changed and, and the meaning of Corona has. Luckily, I think we say COVID so much now. Early on, we said Corona a little bit more. We say COVID so much now that maybe Corona beer is, is resting, you know, is breathing a sigh of relief a little bit now um, that, that the meaning is kind of going back to specifically being them. But yeah, so parody, um, this is one of the areas also where saying IP and throwing things like copyrights and trademarks together isn't helpful in that a lot of these principles like how is parody treated um, will be fundamentally different depending on what area uh, you're in. And so the way that copyright law looks at parody is fundamentally different than in trademarks. In trademarks, we kind of don't care or on a practical level, you're certainly not going to advise anybody, hey, you know what a really good business opportunity would be, would be to get so close to this big brand that has a that has a bunch of registrations that people will think it's funny and they'll buy your shirt or whatever. It's like, okay, well, by getting close enough for it to be funny, you've also just painted a target on your chest for the big brand to come after you. And if unless you're selling hundreds of millions of those shirts and can continue to do so, then you're going to go out of business fighting against the people with the, the big registration. So it's it's a very different issue looking at it in the trademark space. Yeah. Be sure to have a little bit of distinctiveness probably in, in that to it, just yeah, show you're it, different. Yeah, exactly. And that, I mean, to my understanding that, that when I you know look at the Lanham Act, it sounds to me like what it's saying is just be more different than you might otherwise be. Like you could go out and do a cheap imitation of this company, but we're not going to give you Lanham Act protection for that. You could go out and just have a complete mundane sounding name that's very close to what you're doing, but we're not going to give you Lanham Act, you know, boost your rights with the Lanham Act for that. But if you do the hard work of going over into this different cognitive territory, you know, if you're an online bookseller and you're like, okay, well, instead of calling ourselves online books um, or lots of books or mega books, 
How about we say we're Amazon? Like, okay, the Lanham Act will help you out with that if you're because Amazon is completely far away from that kind of thing. You do that, and you get this great big space, cognitive sort of space around you. Attorney and adjunct professor Ed Timberlake, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, my pleasure. Be sure to check out TimberlakeLaw.com for his website and uh, Timberlake Law on Twitter. It's a definitely an entertaining follow, so definitely check him out over there. Uh, thanks for listening to The Legal Impact presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. To help spread word about the show, please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And check out law.unh.edu slash podcast to get all the back episodes of the show.